Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, if you are new, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, please, if we have not met each other, uh, I, I, it would be great. I would love it if, if uh, you could introduce yourself to me uh, after the service so I can get to know uh, you. Uh, to bring you up to speed, we started a series a few weeks ago um, called Forged by Grace, a church life uh, series called Forged by Grace. The reason we're doing this is because uh, we want to maybe get a sharper uh, focus, a, a clearer vision uh, for what uh, God wants the, the church to look like as his representatives in, in our city and around the, uh, around the world. If, if we, uh, who, we really are the sent people of God, if we were thoroughly shaped by grace, what would our lives together look like? What would our actions within our city look like? If we were thoroughly shaped by the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, if we're truly following Jesus in, in his ministry, not just talking about it, but living it out together, all of us, as united citizens of a new city within our city, proclaiming the good news in both word and deed. Now, I had mentioned earlier in this series that when it comes to loving God and loving each other and loving our neighbors, as a church, in, 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 with keeping those three areas in mind, we are weakest. If we're honest, we're weakest in the area of loving our neighbors. So we need to honestly address that. Now, with that said, I have to point out, there are some people in our church who are amazing examples, who, who set the pace for the rest of us. And I am sure that God will use them to help us grow in loving our neighbors. And I think if you just thought about it for a second, you would think of somebody within our church who is like that, right? Maybe more than just one person who is like that, who just sets the pace for loving our neighbors. My encouragement to all of you is to seek those people out and ask how you can help them. They'll be glad that you did. You'll be glad that you did. My prayer is that we will all put these things that we talk about into action. So, this morning, we're looking about what Jesus had to say about the poor. Jesus is preaching and he actually says, blessed are the poor. Now, if you've been around church or heard church talk at all in your life, you've heard that phrase, blessed are the poor. And it goes, it goes in one ear, right out the other. We're so familiar with it. And we don't realize how truly weird that is. When Jesus said that, it was actually weird to people because um, it's like saying, happy are the homeless. Doesn't make sense, right? So, we have some work to do. Did you know that the poor are mentioned in over 200 different places in just the Old Testament alone? Right? When you read the scriptures from cover to cover, there's one thing that is absolutely clear. That caring for the poor is one of the things that is central in God's heart. The great Jonathan Edwards essentially said that nothing's more clear in the Bible than our responsibility as Christians, as the church, to the poor. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason, I think the church at large, uh, we have this amazing ability to tune that out. 
It's, it's mind-boggling. Maybe that's why Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount is more popular than, popular than Luke's. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we'll unpack that a little bit later because that's relevant. But here, Luke hits it head on and he says, blessed are you who are poor. And then he adds, woe to you who are rich. Jesus when he proclaims these words, are actually, he's actually getting to the heart of Christianity here. And I'll explain that in a minute. You'll see why. And so with Luke, we're going to hit this head on and look at four critical questions for us and then wrestle with some four critical answers. And if you're taking notes, um, the first question is this. Who are the poor? It sounds obvious to say, but it helps if we just speak plainly. Uh, the poor are needy, Right? They have little or nothing of what the world values. Now, I want you to think through this with, with me, okay? Say that you were, I don't know what your background is, but say that, pretend, imagine that you were born and raised in a very needy neighborhood. And your family is just so broken that you join a, a gang for a sense of safety and belonging. Uh, you get to be 18 years old. You can't read. You can't write. You don't have any vocational skills. You don't have any, any relational skills to, to land a job. And so what happens to you? You don't have anything the, the world wants, and so the world throws you away. Now, the Bible does say, the Bible does say that some people end up poor because of irresponsibility. That does happen. But if you go through all of the passages in the scripture from beginning to end, you'll see that 80 to 90% of the time, the Bible does not say uh, these people, they had wealth, but they were irresponsible and now they're loser poor people. Most of the passages say that irresponsibility can actually be a result of, of poverty, not the cause of poverty. Now, Look at Proverbs and what it says. The Proverbs says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Now, uh, here in San Diego, a, a report just came out um, by the Census Bureau. Uh, the report was submitted uh, January uh, of this year, 2017, and the records show that here in San Diego County, right, Camp Pendleton, down to the border from the ocean to the desert, shows that here in our county, we have 450,000 people living under the poverty line. Sometimes, sometimes, crime addictions and irresponsibility are the response to poverty. I'm not excusing, I'm just explaining, okay? Now, um, I remember, I'll never forget it, there was a there was a, a Union Tribune story that came out in the San Diego, yeah, San Diego uh, Union Tribune about a 70-year-old homeless man named Victor. He walked into a gas station. He pulled a knife and demanded cash. He got $65 from, from the, the cash register, and he told the clerk to call the police, and then he said he'd wait outside to be arrested. When the police rolled up, there was Victor waiting. Victor told the police that usually around uh, this time of year, he stays in a homeless shelter for veterans, but the shelter wasn't open for a few weeks. And when temperatures dropped, it got cold. You don't think it gets cold in San Diego? Try sleeping on the streets in the middle of winter in San Diego. It just got too cold, so he wanted to go to jail for bed, hot meals, and safety. 
The police officer is quoting saying, he seemed like a nice guy. Victor told me, I just gave up on myself. The poor are needy. And secondly, the poor are powerless. The poor don't have any political weight. Uh, and as a result, they're oppressed. Uh, the, they have little that the world values. And the Bible says that the little that they do have, the world takes away. Again, in Proverbs, it says, A poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. You know how you can tell who a poor, uh, how, who a poor person is? You know how you can tell that they're poor? You can take their stuff away from them. Easily. Now, I grew up in Chula Vista, West Chula Vista. That's my hometown, right? And I remember going to my first city planning meeting in West Chula Vista. And I was excited to see how the downtown area was going to be developed. And then they started talking about buying up houses that were in the way, eliminating them to make room for the new stuff that they wanted to build. And they said, don't worry, it's cool, it's, it's fine, because they're gonna pay, we're going to pay fair market value. But the problem was that most of the residents were the poorest people in the community, and they were renting. <laughs> All of them would be displaced, and their lives would get even more difficult. And no one was addressing, so what do we do? It, they just didn't even dawn on them to maybe try to think through that and how that might fit into the plan and how they can maybe work together. It wasn't even discussed. Poverty is not just a matter of irresponsibility. Things are broken. Proverbs goes on to say, a poor man is shunned by his relatives. How much more do his friends avoid him? And if you have been poor and in poverty, you know exactly what they're talking about here. Though he pursues them with pleading, though he pursues them with pleading, they're nowhere to be found. The poor are needy. They're powerless. And honestly, it's so easy to not even see them. That takes us to our next question. What should we do? Two things. First of all, show mercy. Over and over again, and, and most of the time by far, instead of rebuking the poor, the Bible calls us to show mercy to those in need. Now, one of the things that God says to Israel is that Israel, his people, they're going to be a light to the nations, right? And one of the ways that they're going to be a light to the nations is by caring for the people in need. And, and so God made laws about this, right? And he said crops could not be completely harvested. They were to leave some for the poor to glean. Then every third year, an additional tithe or 10% was given to the poor, and every seventh year was a Sabbath year, and you could not harvest your own orchards and fields. The entire harvest was to be left for the poor. And then in addition to all of this, God says in Deuteronomy 15, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your poor brothers and towards the poor and needy in your land. God calls us. He doesn't say, he doesn't say therefore, I have a suggestion for you to be, here's a good idea if you want to consider it. No, he says, therefore, I command you to be open-handed. This is, this is God. And so often we don't even think about it, let alone obey it. 
right? God calls us to show mercy. It is so clear. And then he also secondly calls us to do justice. The poor are powerless, and as a result, they are oppressed. So over and over again, the prophets of God speaking for God urge us to do justice. Look at Isaiah. He says, seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. And plead the case of the widow. Now, listen. The problem goes so deep. And the issue is so multifaceted and, and can be so complex that, that the, the problem, it, it, there, no social program can ultimately fix it. Our social structures are not only broken, they're just totaled. And so the prophets not only urge us to do justice, the prophets also call us to look to the day when God himself will show up to make all things right. He says through the psalmist this, but the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the, afflicted, of the afflicted ever perish. And then later he says, because of the oppression of the weak, because of the groaning of the needy, I will arise, says the Lord. And the Old Testament says that when our deliverer, when Jesus, when the Messiah shows up, that he will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. He will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. And then when Jesus shows up, and he begins, like, his first official day in ministry when he kicks off his, his ministry. Check this out. He goes to the synagogue. He stands in front of everybody. And the first thing he reads as he starts his ministry, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. The poor... How did the poor not become one of the central things in our mission when they were central, one of the central things in Jesus' mission? Central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to bring relief to the poor through mercy and justice. Care and concern for the poor is one of the central issues. I mean, worship is, community is, being a witness to the truth is, and so is care for the poor. But we kind of add that as like a bonus if we get around to it. It, it's, it happens so easily. Not everybody. I'm just saying this has kind of, <laughs> kind of become the rule of, of thumb, I think, for, for most Christians. And the question is, why, why is this so easily filtered out? Well, um, I don't know about you, um, but for me, if I examine my own heart, I, I see that within my own heart, usually it's a problem with pride and or fear, right? If I'm going to be honest. Uh, pride is a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean, pride gets you coming and, 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 and going. And, and the spirit of pride says, you know what? I'm not going to help you. Just get a job. I made it on my own. So can you, you loser, right? That's pride. You might not say those words, but... 
The spirit of those words are in our head and in our heart. But also pride says, sure, I'll help. And look what a good person I am. That's not about helping the poor. That's about looking like a better person than I really am. That's pride. And then there's fear. Fear is also a double-edged sword. Fear says, you know what? I can't help. I mean, I'm having a hard enough time making it myself. I mean, if I get involved, you know, where, where will it end? They might take advantage of me. They might take advantage of my generosity. As if we've never taken advantage of God's generosity, and yet he's still generous to us. Fear also says, well, I have to help. And we kind of panic. And, 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 you know, if I don't help, I'll feel guilty. And, and God will get me, and other people will judge me. That's not about helping the poor. That's about looking better and feeling better. Now, here's the deal. Most sermons go like this. Jesus said, go do this. Now, get to it. The end. Amen. Go in peace. But you know what that does? That ultimately, you might be fired up for a minute, but ultimately that leads to guilt and despair. I mean, if we ended here, we'd be mad or sad, right? Or, or in denial. But I'm not done because there's something more that Jesus came to do. Jesus came to change our hearts, right? He, the, the gospel's not, the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done, is not just to save us, but to change us, to transform us. And to the extent, as Christians, to the extent that we see God's grace and we see his generosity, the sacrifice on the cross, to the extent that we get his good news, we'll be able to care for the poor with our hearts filled with both humility and confidence instead of pride and fear. And so the question is this then, how can we, how do we, how can we do this, right? Because on our own, on our own, we know that, that we can't. Remember Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's the other side to it. You can only enter the kingdom of heaven if you are poor in spirit. We can only be Christians if we get rid of our middle class in spirit and become poor in spirit. Right? That means two things. First of all, it means that we must admit, no matter how much money you have in the bank, we must admit that we are poor, okay? We must understand that no matter how strong and healthy we are and how much money we have in the bank, we are needy. In and of ourselves, we have nothing of spiritual value, valuable enough to barter with God. We cannot say, if I live a good life, then I'll have something of value to present to God. You know, I'll give to the poor, show mercy, do justice. Then I can present this to God, and then he has to bless me. He has to accept me. The gospel says all of us are poor. All of us are spiritual needy. You have nothing on your own to offer to God. But we can't barter with him. We must admit that we are, are needy. I'm telling you that you won't appreciate the good news unless you get to this point. 
The gospel is just boring theological discussion if we don't get to this point, the reality that we are needy and also powerless. The middle class spirit says, okay, if I fail, I'll pick myself up. I'll try harder. Turn over a new leaf, whatever that means. I'll double my effort. Think positive. I, I can do it. You know what the gospel says? Nope. Not only are we spiritually bankrupt, but we are also just totally incapable of reversing the situation. It's like me drowning, trying to pick myself up by, by my hair so I don't drown. It's ridiculous, right? It's like a dead man trying to dig himself out of, out of the grave. The Bible says that on our own, we are spiritually dead, totally powerless to do anything valuable enough to earn God's acceptance and, and love. You know what that means? It means we need mercy, right? We need grace. We must admit that we are poor. Second, we must admit that our only hope in this situation is a poor man. You won't love the poor, this poor man. You won't appreciate this poor man unless you come to the point of realizing that you are poor. Our only hope is to trust the king who became a poor man. Jesus was born in a barn, placed in a feed trough for, for his crib. His parents were so poor that at his dedication, the parents gave the smallest offering possible to pigeons. He was raised by a poor family in a poor community. His whole life he was poor. And look what Jesus had to say about it. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus did not say, all right, I mean, God the Son, right? Part of the Trinity, our triune God, did not show up, bam, with, with, as a, like a powerful general or politician or, or world leader or something. I need to be impressive so that, that everybody will be inspired to look up to me so people will feel like they have a use for me, so people will be fired up to follow me. That's not how it played out, did it? Before Easter on Palm Sunday, our king rode in on a borrowed donkey. He had his last, the last supper in a borrowed room. He was buried in a borrowed grave, and he died naked. He was poor, needy, oppressed. He had little of what the world valued, and the little he had was taken away. No one looked up to him or wanted to be like him. They mocked him, right? They had no use for him, so they throw him away. And it's only because of him that we have any hope at all. Our only hope is a crucified poor man. We must admit that on our own we have nothing of value to present to God so that he'll, he'll accept us. And you know what? If, if it offends us, if it offends us, okay, to admit if it offends me, to admit that God has every right to, to throw me away and that my only hope is a crucified poor man. If that offends me, you know what that means? It means that I'm not poor in spirit. I am middle class in spirit. And then I cannot enter the kingdom of God. So how can we really love and care for the poor that God calls us to? It begins by admitting that, that we can't because we 
on our own because we are poor and then, then we must put our hope in a crucified poor man. Do, do you see how this changes our hearts? Our, our whole motivation for, for, for this? Our pride gets replaced with humility. There's no room for pride. Pride is totally illogical when you know that we're so spiritually poor that Christ had to be crucified for our sin. There's no room for pride in that. And fear goes flying out the window and is replaced with confidence because we know that he was glad to be crucified for our sin. That's the power of the gospel. It changes us and, and then bears fruit. What happens when we do this? What kind of fruit is produced? Well, when we put our hope in the crucified poor man, we will begin to grow. It doesn't happen overnight. We'll still have mixed motives, even bad motives that we can't even see, but, but we grow. God is sanctifying us and sanctifying our, our motives. It does happen first, first, we will identify with the poor. It's not like that's just a different people group. We will identify with them. We will see that they are just like us, and, you, and, and we'll see that, that we are just like them. You know what? I mean, I told you before, I, I, I used to do church services in the park. Uh, before I was at this church down, down in National City, we'd have homeless worship with us. It was never boring. And I'm telling you, typical church, your basic standard, typical church person never experiences that. And it's too bad. I could not recommend it enough. I mean, because it taught us a lot. If, if you're looking at people through the lens of the gospel, no matter who it is, and, and you're, you're worshiping with a, a someone who is, is homeless, you, you realize, you know what? Like... Like the dirty, torn up clothes, they, they can remind me that, that my righteousness on my own is, is a filthy rag. But in Christ, we're both clothed in his righteousness. We're both clothed in his white robe of white righteousness by God's grace. And so we'll identify with them. This means we won't despise them. They're not just a problem to be, to be fixed. We'll have empathy for them. We won't look down on the unimpressive. We'll genuinely respect them instead of serving them so we look better, so we feel better about ourselves. We'll see them as, as partners in ministry. We'll invite them into our lives. We'll invite them to, to, to join us here, especially when we, we have our picnics and banquets. We'll show hospitality. We'll express gratitude for them. And we'll see that they have a lot to teach us about grace. So we'll identify with them, and then we'll be generous. That's what it means to, to show mercy. John, John Stott says it this way. What does the Bible say we must do with our material goods? Must we give everything away and become financially poor? And he checks out all of the scriptures and verses and concludes, no, we don't have to become financially poor. And can we stay rich? And he checks all of the verses and scriptures and stuff and he says, no, we don't have to become poor, but we can't stay rich. Instead, we must be incredibly, we must become incredibly content and radically generous in such a way that the world views it as 
foolishness. You know why? Because our treasure is in heaven. The only thing that makes sense is in, in response to God's generosity towards us is, is to live a radically generous life for, for others. This is why we encourage Christians to give. We are called to set the pace for grace by being poor in spirit and having a generous heart because we've been changed by the gospel. And then last, I'll end with this. We will stand with and we will stand for the poor. That's what it means to do justice. The gospel frees us from our reputation, our obsession with our reputation, our obsession with our comfort. And it enables us to so identify with the poor that we are compelled to stand with them against injustice and oppression. This is our responsibility. And you know what? As a church, we fulfill that responsibility, not just as individuals, but collectively as a church, as God's representative, as as Jesus' representatives here in this world. So, our hope and strength for us in the world is that there really is good news. It's for the poor and only the poor, the spiritually poor, and especially the economically poor. And for the good news to come to us, we must become poor in spirit, admit that we have nothing of value to offer to God, that our only hope is a crucified poor man. And when that happens, the good news changes us. And, and as a church, we, as individuals, collectively as a church, We'll live with humility and confidence. We'll be incredibly content, radically generous. And our love for the poor will demonstrate to the world that a better kingdom is here. That Jesus is our king. And his ultimate weapon against everything wrong in the world is the love and grace and truth of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We take advantage of your kindness. We take advantage of, of your grace. We, under, we, 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 are, uh, we just don't uh, uh, appreciate all that you do for us uh, and so thoughtless about it. And, and, and yet, so often we're afraid that we're going to be inconvenienced if we... If we uh, uh, sacrifice for somebody or, or we withhold generosity because we're afraid we're going to be taken advantage of. God, I pray that you would show us the hypocrisy in our hearts and that we would confess it and repent of it and, and just be uh, just overwhelmed by the reality uh, that, that you were so sacrificially generous to us um, and that you lived and died for us even um, on the cross. And so, God, I pray that this good news would not become old news or just a theological exercise, but that it would, it would grab our hearts and transform our hearts and then uh, help us to, to see our need for, for you. And uh, God, make us, make us generous. Um, God, give us humility. 
and, and confidence because we have nothing apart from Jesus and his grace. Fill our hearts with gratitude and desire to worship you, to know you and make you known through word and deed. And God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that's not put their faith and trust in you, that this morning you would give them the faith to follow you, the courage to follow you, to trust you, that they may experience your grace and your generosity and your, your love, that you'd radically transform their, their lives. We pray these things in your name.